I'm writing my most likable song ever. I've always dreamed that one day I'd have a band member who shared my vision of creating extremely likable music. So thank you, John. You gave me the little push I needed. Okay, enough chatter. Here it is, my most likable song ever. Death Sentence for this week. Uh, we're going to be doing Goodnight Pun Pun and Call Me Zebra by Inio Asano and Azreen van der Vliet Alumi, respectively. Um, first, some housekeeping. Uh, you can follow me on the Twitter website at Death Sentence PC. Um, lefties, the PC actually stands for Armalite Rifle, get it right. And I'm also on the Facebook and uh, that's literally it. And uh, I'm not like Patreon in yet. I may never. Um, but it'd be really, really cool of you. And you are cool, right? You're cool. Um, it'd be cool if you would go to, uh, say, iTunes and give me a re review, like a good one. Don't do a bad review. No one wants to hear that. And um, yeah, give me a give me a good review and a five star rate it, and we'll go up the charts. And it'll be really easy for me to dominate literature because, well, I mean, just look at like the literature charts on iTunes. Uh, it's abysmal. Uh, it's like uh, short stories that haven't been updated in five years. Um, this is the New York Times. I don't think I'm going to be up like um, unseating them at any point. But um, yeah, I. I I could probably get into the top twenty if you, some of you guys like uh, give me some um, give me some of them likes. So smash that subscribe button. I heard people say that on YouTube. I think it applies here too. So I wanted to talk about Goodnight Pun Pun and Call Me Zebra uh, through the spectrum, high through the glass, looking glass, of uh, likability, of being likable. Um, because I think if you jam these two books together and filter them through my um, ADD adult brain, then you can kind of learn a little something about um, likability in fiction and a little bit about yourself along the way. I think we're all going to grow this week. So let's start with, uh, because it's easiest, Goodnight Pun Pun by Inio Asano. Um, I don't, I don't think I've ever actually bought a manga, like any of them, unless you count Scott Pilgrim, I mean years ago, and that doesn't count at all. Um, yeah, I've, I've, this is literally the only manga on my shelves, and I have about three thousand books. So, um, yeah, I, but people, I, I kept hearing about this. It was kind of like a synchronicity thing. Um, people kept saying goodnight, pun pun. And um, yeah, it, I haven't read any of uh, Mr. Asano's uh, Asano-san's um, Solanin or What a Wonderful World, which also out on Viz, which is a uh, American company that publishes um, manga in translation. And okay, so Goodnight Pun Pun. It's about uh, Pun Pun Panyama, and he is an average kid in an average town. Uh, average town being, I think, Tokyo. I'm not too sure. Could be, could not be. Um, it's in Japan. And uh, so the cool thing about Goodnight Pun Pun, which you're going to get right from the front cover, which is a really beautiful design, by the way, 
uh, is that Pun Pun himself, the lead character of this manga, is uh, presented as, I, I think, like a bird ghost. So he's like a, he's like a sheet ghost, you know, um, with it's just like a sheet with a vaguely humanoid figure inside it and two eyes and a little pointy V sideways nose. I assume it's his nose, and he's got little sticky legs, and he's about two feet tall. And um, but that's a purely representational thing. He like no one points out that there's like a, a bird ghost in a school class, uh, or that he's two feet tall. Uh, he also doesn't talk. That's um, a pretty significant factor in his likability, which I'll get to in a minute. So yeah, he has he has no lines in this. Uh, sometimes the narration reports what he's thinking, but he doesn't have any uh, dialogue at all, not a single line. Um, and he is quite simply the most adorable and likable character I've ever seen, at least in a comic of any kind, East or West, and maybe in all of fiction ever. Okay, probably too much. But he is very, very likable. And um, let's get in a Let's do the plot. So um, it's... I've only got uh, volume one here. I think there's about four or five volumes. Uh, in this particular volume, uh, Pun Pun is around 10 years old. Uh, his dad, um, who's also portrayed as like a, a bird ghost, um, his dad's an alcoholic and I think like a, uh, a rockabilly greaser guy um, which means he was probably like used to be a skinhead or something because that's the like life cycle of skinheads their like butterfly stage is uh, greaser and um, he's also an alcoholic as you would be if you were a greaser um, because that's probably the only way you could live with yourself and um, yeah, his, his dad is a greasy layabout loser and uh, gets kicked out of the house. Um, Pun Pun's uncle, uh, Yuichi, comes to live with him. Uh, Yuichi is distinguished from um, the other bird ghosts by the fact he has glasses and a little beanie. And the fact he's a 33-year-old unemployed loser. Uh, Pun Pun's mum uh, has a vaguely defined mental illness of some kind. Um, She's a little difficult to, to get a read on, and maybe she comes more into her own in later chapters, uh, volumes rather. Um, she's distinguished by the fact she's a little bird ghost with um, like rollers in her hair, kind of those like classic housewife rollers, like the, the kind of rollers that um, imply you should be chasing someone around with a frying pan. And yeah, she's... Uh, the other characters are kids in Pun Pun school, uh, his teacher who's like one of those like, you know, cool teachers who wants to like have a rap with the kids. And um, as a 10 year old, he does 10 year old stuff. Uh, he um, tries to find porn in the streets. Uh, he uh, kind of has a adorable crush on this girl, um, I forget her name now, it's ages ago I read this, and um, I think Aiko. And, um, She's a bit of a handful. Um, Pun Pun also talks to God. Um, he has a special um, prayer he says to God called that goes, Dear God, Dear God, Tinkle Hoy. If anyone sees God right now, then the prayer worked. And God is actually um, Inio Asano. Because that's kind of realistic. He is kind of Pun Pun's God. And uh, God turns up and um, in large letters that fill up the page Pun Pun asks God, can't mum and dad get along? God replies, frankly I'm tired with that subject, is there anything else? Don't rush it, think things over carefully because the possibilities are endless. Pun Pun replies, I wonder what it'll be like when I'm an adult, thought Pun Pun. Just don't grow up to say stuff like that with a straight face. So God's kind of an asshole in this. And um, yeah, it's it's really adorable, and um, the art is a big part of that. And I know this is ostensibly and you know very ostensibly a literary po podcast, 
but um, so I shouldn't be discussing art at all. But it's gorgeous uh, for manga, and, and but that does no. Um, it's uh, it's incredibly well drawn, really beautifully realistic. Um, the the humans are kind of manga, big eyes and stuff, but uh, not uh, not like uh, not to the point where it's annoying, like the um, Battle Angel Alita trailer that you may have seen. Um, and oh, they've got a new trailer out for uh, Death Stranding, the new um, the new uh, Hideo Kojima game. Game, it looks really good, and it's probably going to be better than most books. So I'm probably going to try and sort something out to, to read or otherwise enjoy, or to read to play that at some point. Um, so watch out for that in a future instalment, because I'm, I'm kind of I'm really into Metal Gear um, in a big way more than really any book and um, okay so Pun Pun and his uh, friends they go into abandoned uh, like factory to look for um, some dead bodies uh, shades obviously of Logan Paul here and kind of um, maybe even plagiarized from the Logan Paul incident um, it's two weeks in a row I've mentioned him and um, there's an explosion there's uh, another kid who talks to his own god but his god is a, a poop guy he's like a guy with a poop for his head who lives on a UFO and like comes down to see him um, there's a quite lovely dream sequence uh, there are milfs um, and it's really beautiful it's really sur it's surreal, but then for really large chunks, it's just beautiful slice of life, Bilden's Roman, about this little bird ghost with little stick legs who, like, literally anyone in the world could draw. Um, like, you could probably draw a pun pun based on my description of him, like, bird ghost with little stick legs. Um, yeah, it, and it's so charming it's like even though it's about uh prepubescent boys trying to find porn for most of it and alcoholic dads and at one point pun pun has a wet dream and thinks his brain is coming out of his dick um it's so pure and wholesome you know and um yeah and i wish there'd be a lot more uh books about childhood that are like this i wish we could just have a book for adults entirely for adults, written by adults, etc. Um, that was just about kids looking for porn and being gross, but in a kind of cute, wholesome way. Like, wouldn't that just be a, a lovely book to read? You know? I'd read that. I, I did read that. That's Goodnight Pun Pun. And, um, yeah, more than just the, the plot and the overall loveliness of it, uh, Pun Pun himself because he is so cute as a pitcher and so innocent, but yet he has that, he still reminds ordinary people like me who were gross as kids about how gross we were, but how innocent that grossness was and how like messed up the world is that we don't see this, that we don't see the fundamental grossness of childhood. It's also like innocent and cute. Uh, yeah, it, it's, and he doesn't talk, he um, has no dialogue in this except for reported narration, and uh, it just makes him an intensely likeable character, and you root for him to get the girl, like, so much. Like, I was so invested in the, these two ten-year-olds' relationship. Everyone in this book is in intensely likeable. They're such nice people, and I want to go to Tokyo and hang out with this little bird ghost and tell him it's all going to be okay, he doesn't have to talk to his rockabilly dad anymore because rockabilly is terrible. Um, even Rocket from the Crypt is bad. And um, that's about as, as far into rockabilly as like, anyone should really go. Um, yeah, it's it's a horrible, horrible uh, idea. And yeah, I, I know uh, not a ton of people uh, would ever consider buying a manga at all for mostly good reasons uh, if you've been to I remember I used to go to um, Powell's Books in Portland Oregon 
it's the biggest bookstore in I think the Western Hemisphere huge place and the manga section is kind of by the cafe on the first floor so well, I'd be like I bought some books drinking a coffee because uh, Portland and I'd be seeing all these dudes always dudes in the manga section and they they were like how you think they're like like picture guy sitting on the floor of a manga section uh, reading card captor Sakura Google that and um, yeah they, they were like how you think those guys are like and uh, not to fat shame but these were big dudes they filled up the aisle it wasn't a huge aisle but yeah it was filled up and um, that's what most people think of in manga or, or Dragon Ball Z or which is great by the way um, shout out to um, Balling Out Super which is one of my favorite podcasts at the moment it's kind of like pun pun just a, adorable wholesome gross uh, dissection of episodes of Dragon Ball Z Super uh, which has been going a, a show that's been going on for 30 years now and started out as this like affectionate tribute to uh, the classic Chinese uh, story um, Journey to the West uh, and has now just become this um, unwieldy uh, multi-tiered narrative of time travel and like buff dads uh, yeah check out Born Out Super it's really good and um, where was I yeah most people aren't gonna read manga might want to dip your toe into pun pun even if you do have to sit on the floor of manga section to read it because uh, yeah it's it's fucking adorable it's really really cute and maybe that's not what you're looking for in your life right now especially since we're in a podcast that also plays bands with names like sodomitic malification and their band I I'm gonna rape God to death, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, let some of that into your life. Don't be a douche. That word uh, douche is a word of the day. Mm. Um, because I'm also, I also read in the past uh, week and a half, "Call Me Zebra" by Azarine Van der Vliet Alumi. Uh, she is an Iranian American. Uh, author. She's same age as me. Uh, she is also uh, infinitely more accomplished than I am. She is a assistant professor in the MFA program at, in creative writing at the University of Notre Dame. She is the winner of the 215 Whiting Writers Award. They could have chosen a word that isn't Whiting Writers. That's impossible. Try that. Uh, National Book Foundation 35 under 35 honorary, recipient of a Fulbright scholarship as well as a residency fellowships from McDowell and Leddig House. Uh, her work is Paris Review, Gunnica, Ground for Bomb, so the the four of great stuff, apart from uh, missing the New Yorker in there. So get on to that. Uh, she's lived in New York, Los Angeles, Tehran, Dubai, Valencia and Barcelona, where a big bit of... Um, Call Me Zebra is set, uh, currently splits the time between South Bend, Indiana and Florence, Italy. Um, so, l legit literary, I was going to say dude, but girl dude. And um, so, Call Me Zebra. I'm going to call it Call Me Maybe like probably a dozen times accidentally, but it is called Call Me Zebra, a novel. Because when it's literary fiction you have to say an a novel. Um, people get confused. So, Zebra, the lead character, the um, eponymous character, Zebra, uh, she is a young, I think 21, 22, um, Iranian uh, emigre, uh, exile. She uses the term exile about herself a lot, uh, even though she kind of left Iran voluntarily. Um, she uh, left Iran with her father, um, who describes himself and his um, family going back as aut uh, let me just get the sequence right anarchists, atheists and autodidacts um, to which I say one out of three ain't bad not two out of three, I guess they're atheists and um, 
So they left Iran when uh, things got uh, sweaty back in sometime in the 80s. Uh, they had a big old adventure across uh, the Caucasus and Europe and eventually ended up in the US and living in New York in a, a little apartment and um, they as a family, the her Husseinis, um, they take literature very seriously. Uh, they probably wouldn't uh, review a book by making fart sounds like I would and do and have. Um, they memorize books. I don't remember most books. Um, I don't remember significant chunks of this. Um, my brain's all wrong. But these guys have good brains. And uh, they use their brains for literature with a capital L. And they read Cervantes and Borges. I'm not even sure, 100% sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Borges? Um, you know, the big library fellow? I believe that's what he's... Well, this, is a this is a Spanish translation, you probably won't understand, but big library fellow is what he's uh, generally known as. Uh, you, you probably... Don't look that up, it's um, it's rare fact. And, uh, yeah, they, they read proper books. They don't read manga. They never. I don't even believe they would know what a manga is. Um, yeah, they're they're much more legit than I am, and um, I really wanted to like this book. I really did. I gave it the good old college try, right the way to the end. Didn't skip much. Um, my my brain kind of skips it by itself, but mostly I read it. Um, and in good long chunks as well. It wasn't just little bits here and there on the bus. It was good long, sit down at night, uh, not even particularly drunk, and just read it like a proper grown-up adult with literature. Yeah, really wanted to like it, because loads of people like this. Loads of people I respect like this a lot. And uh, Zebra is exile as education, history as passion, life as literature, and literature as death. It's kind of, eh. But that's Tom McCarthy. Um, Man Booker Prize finalist for Saturn Island and Remainder. Uh, I've only read his book C. Um, oh no, I, I, I read a bit of Saturn Island and didn't really get on with it because it kind of, kind of came off as like weak J.G. Ballard. But C was pretty good. Um, a lot of other people like this. It was on a lot of like books to look forward to in 2018 lists. And yeah, and yeah I'm, I'm really, really sorry for not liking this. I know that's like the least punk rock thing I could be saying right now. I should just be like flipping this book off and spitting on it or something. Um, but I'm actually quite uh, regretful that my brain doesn't work in the way that would allow me to enjoy this book as much as Tom McCarthy did, or Daniel Dutton, or Kate Zambrino, or Roger Reeves, or Quinn Monzo, who is actually a character in this book as well as an actual actual Spanish Catalan novelists um, and I think to you know, bring this all around to the um, point of the episode I think likability of its lead character was a was the deciding factor in this um, to put it simply Zebra is a nightmare the jacket copy um, refers to her as a heroine as quirky as Don Quixote, as introspective as Virginia Woolf, as whip-spart as Miranda July, and as spirited as Frances Ha. Um, that's a Greta Gerwig film, not a book, or a person who writes books. Yeah, I, very much a case of an intern got to write that jacket copy on like five o'clock on a Friday. Um, I don't like Zebra. If I met someone as quarter of a zebra as zebra is, I would, I would recoil and run away from that person. Um, this is someone who, this is someone who very much reminds me, um, not of Don Quixote, although the the book keeps trying to put that idea in your head. It reminds me more of uh, of uh, Ignatius Riley from uh, Confederate of Dunces. Um, that's a book by uh, Peter O'Toole. I believe his name was. Uh, he actually killed himself before uh, the novel was ever. Sorry, 
Peter O'Toole, John Kennedy O'Toole, what am I talking about here? Uh, he, um, yeah, he um, wrote the old Icarus line um, a little, bef 11 years before this book was published. His mum, I think, published it, as, as I recall the story. Um, he, um, and it turned out that Confederate Dunces is one of the classic is one of the classic American novels of the 20th century now. It came out in uh, 1981. Uh, he got a po posthumous Pulitzer Prize for it. Another thing that's difficult for me to say. And um, that's a very... He, he's not a very likeable person at all. Um, he's a um, pretentious, uh, surly, prickly uh, snob. Uh, who utterly rejects all modern culture since uh, medieval philosophy, um, big into Boethius, and um, he, but yet, Confederate Dunces and its character are yeah, classics. People love this story. Uh, I, I haven't read it very recently at all, maybe 15 years ago, and it was just because I, I found it in a list of the great American novels or something, I just worked my way through till I find something that's stuck. And I remember really liking this, I wish I could remember more of it, but um, I remember being struck by how much Zebra uh, reminded me of him and not Don Quixote. Uh, Don Quixote is a very, um, he's a quite sympathetic character, he's obviously, um, yeah, a bit touched in the head by uh, contemporary standards. But he's he's uh, he's inoffensive. Yeah, we uh, that book kind of turns us all into Sancho Panzas, and we kind of just along for the ride, watching him tilt at windmills and be silly, and get into scrapes, and it's all in good fun. And Confederacy of Confederacy of Dunces, uh, it's in less good fun. It's a bit pricklier, but. Um, we like Ignatius Riley. I did, at least. I remember liking him when I was about 15, um, where my you know, radar of who is good and bad is probably not particularly well developed. But uh, I remember liking this guy and thinking, you know, this was a fun book to read. And it was a fun book to read, not uh, in spite of, but because the main character was so unlikable and so kind of re repugnant in so many ways. And um, from the reviews Comu uh, Zebra's got, I don't think anyone shares my opinion that uh, Zebra would be an absolute abomination to be around for any length of time. Uh, let's dive in and random page I bookmarked and just find an example of her utter douchiness. Okay, so there's a bit... Uh page 126 in hardback, um, about midway through, um, she and her kind of on-again-off-again on, on on again boyfriend, uh, Ludo Bembo, who we'll get to in a minute, they are, he notices she looks a little hungry, and he uh, wants to give her a croissant, as you would. It's a nice thing to do. Um, she does not want this croissant. She does not, she roundly rejects croissants, and they're in Europe, so croissants are good there. Um, to each his own, I said, but let it be known that I align myself with Don Quixote, the knight of the sad countenance, for whom food is anathema, anathema because he, like me, feeds on the flesh of language. Who talks like that? Really? Um, uh, later in the book, G, uh, 142, she goes into a museum and looks around, and uh, it's all for first person, by the way. Uh, I walked out of the museum in tears. The floodgates have opened. I sat on the staircase leading down to the internal courtyard. There were palms growing in terracotta vases. The sky was darker, the air colder. Uh, just, it's quite well written, by the way. It is very well written, I, I'll say that. A security guard walked up to me. He had blue eyes and a thin face, a pronounced jaw and blackened teeth that were broken and had sharp reptilian edges. What's wrong? he asked in Catalan. He sat next to me. There was a knowing kindness in his voice. He was a guardian of art. I told him the truth. I'm crying because of Franco's evil and pompous penis, 
and the many ways in which it sabotaged with its dim dimpled little head an entire nation of people. The security guard laughed a, p a painful laugh. He said, you don't have hair on your tongue. I assume that's a Catalan pro uh, proverb. It's true, I confirmed. I'm a straight shooter. Again, not only why does she talk like that to a total stranger, why does he talk like that back? Uh, he later says, I understand better than I can express. Again, museum guard to total stranger. We Catalans respect directness. We are not like the gold-loving yet provincial Spanish who weave a web so tangled that even Argentines who live near the South Pole, thousands of kilometres from here, have got tangled in it. Again, museum security guard talking to total stranger. What's going on here? Yeah, it's... Um, some people call Zebra on her bullshit. There's um, a grocery store owner who just literally says you're insane get out of my grocery store and um, but for the most part uh, Ludo Bembo an Italian living in uh, Barcelona uh, he well they fuck a lot and um, he is clearly incredibly annoyed at her but um, still wants to be hitting that like all the time like you know she's insane but she bay so what you gotta do um she says to him about a uh, parakeet that she's keeps around it belongs to Quinn Monzo the actual living real life um author uh she warns him I live with a bird that has the aura of, of a death maker again is that Francis Ha? I, I haven't seen that movie. I was told that uh, she's quite a likeable person. Um, yeah, she, uh, Zebra has a an air about her of being so caught up in what is essentially fandom, nerd culture, except for books, so it's okay. She's so caught up in this that she can't communicate on any other level and she's probably a lot like those guys sat in the manga aisle in uh, Powell's City of Books. Um, I'm sure if I spoke to one of them about I don't know, the weather or sports or whatever boring shit, um, they would always bring it round to manga. I talk about sports, they talk about sports manga. You know? Zebra is literally un incapable of communicating with without this uh this like in without these like gnomic uh, nietzschean pronouncements the kind that authors are kind of encouraged to say because then they get um quoted on literary hub or places you know where they'll say some author of a literary fiction book that's going to sell like a thousand copies to most of his friends will say like to dream is to surrender quotation on literary hub by author me milk author and um that stands in for actual thought about the world and people in it and the various problems pe people face um and is in itself an escape and surrender from the real world there's a section in here and um, okay so it's uh, 91 uh, the street was largely deserted. It was still early in the morning. There was a radio perched near the window. I turned it on. I heard, the whole world is a potential front. We are all foot soldiers. I turned it off. Most people are going to skim past that. I kind of got stuck on that. And that kind of like caught me and kept going over and over again. So I think that's, that's more of a key to her as a character than um, most people are going to pick up on, I think. And this maybe just me. Um, she hears uh, something, I guess, political. She hears that, quote, the whole world is a potential front. We're all foot soldiers. And she turns that off immediately. She has no interest in whatever that is. She is much more interested in uh, the 17th century story of a crazy guy tilting at windmills than whatever was on there. 
which could be anything. You know, doing Catalan, which is a um, pretty politically active place, uh, Homage Catalonia, which I, I believe is mentioned here. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, there's so many refer literary references here that uh, maybe Orwell. No, I think Orwell is in here, and Homage Catalonia is uh, referenced, maybe even briefly. But um, yeah, I don't see Zebra um, joining up in the brigades and going and fighting the fascists. Um, she certainly calls people fascists. Uh, she's certainly um, angry about uh, the state of Iran and the Middle East. Uh, this takes place during the Bush presidency and she's not a big fan, um, which is a very normy opinion at that time. It's, uh, yeah, and uh, she, but yeah, politics is, is gone from this. And um, there's so much chance for engagement with, the, with this character in this place. And yet, um, yeah, she'd rather say things like, these reflections furnish the elements of my motto, which has become the theme of my life. The only difference between a madman and myself is that I am not mad. Oh, that's actually a quote from Salvador Dali that I've just um, randomly picked up on. Salvador Dali comes up a lot. Uh, Nietzsche comes up a lot. Um, although not particularly in discussion, more as a more as a reference, like a was like a almost empty signifier of something. Uh, she, her whole point, uh, her mission, if you will, is to create something called the Matrix of Literature, um, which is a some sort of text that incorporates all literature and meshes it all together to create some kind of like. Uh, almost oracle or prophetic device. It's it's vague, but um, and explained weirdly. Um, but let's let's get away from from her. And uh, it's really, really, really well written. The language in it is absolutely lovely. Then Zebra talks, and you just, uh, uh, stop doing everything. Uh, she's almost she almost does stop doing everything at one point when she almost kills herself. Um, it's not particularly explained why, except that maybe there is something wrong with her. Maybe this level of literary nerddom is toxic to a person, certainly is, reads toxically. Let's, let's talk about some people who, who get it. Let's talk about uh, Dawn Raid. They are a three-piece band out of north of England. Uh, again, a, a place that Orwell wrote about. Uh, he wrote, uh, wrote to Wigan Pier. Wigan's not hugely north, uh, but it is uh, it's in the north. Um, so Dawn Raid are actual anarchists who do anarchistic things. They're probably also atheists, I imagine, and maybe autodidacts as well. But uh, they uh, play black metal. Um, it's They do it really, really well. On their album The Unlawful Assembly, there is a track called uh, Emptiness Beneath the Great Emptiness. I thought that had a quite uh, literary ring to it, and uh, Call Me Zebra is always talking about uh, exile and black holes and emptiness and death. So I figure we can listen to Emptiness Be Beneath the Great Emptiness by Dawn Raid.
it. That was Emptiness Between Beneath the Great Emptiness by Dawn Raid off um, their album The Unlawful Assembly. Okay, so back to Call Me Zebra slash Pun Pun. I think because I had such a visceral uh, dislike to Zebra as a as a person, I didn't engage with what should be an amazing novel about a really interest someone who sh- by all rights should really grab my attention um because i just plain didn't like her i didn't want her to write the matrix of literature i didn't want her to um have a nice relationship with ludo bembo i just wanted her to go away I wanted the the focus to be on Ludo Bembo or one of the many other characters in this. Um, those are really only two of a real significance, but there are others, um, particularly in the latter kind of quarter of the book. The roster of characters expands quite dramatically. Um, yeah, I I wanted to be elsewhere when she was around. The bits of it I liked the most were descriptions of cities and landscapes. This was essentially a series of paintings to me. And then someone in the art gallery where I was viewing the paintings was insane. And um, another thing, and it's a pet peeve, I've mentioned it before on here, it's my biggest old pet peeve of all, is she does not have a job and had never has and never will because uh, she, no one could possibly get on with her. She won't even be like a uh, writer or literary critic or anything like that because there is no possible way that anyone will give her enough of time of day to do anything that could possibly earn her money. So when she's in New York, uh, she meets with a professor of literature at, I think, NYU or Columbia. And he basically gives her a big stack of money and sends her off across the world to live in Quim Monzo's apartment and look after it while he's away. So he gets, she gets a lovely apartment in the middle of Barcelona and tons of money and can just fuck around, do whatever, you know, like we all live. We've all been there, right? That's just how things are. And, um, you know, ignoring things like work this uh, totalitarian hellhole where we spend 10 hours of every day, every weekday, um, it's fine. Yeah, don't care. Um, yeah, it's not like uh, Spaniards, for example, have this like insanely um, toxic uh, work culture where they like work in the mornings, they have a big afternoon like nap, then they work way into the evening so they can never see their kids. Uh, they work on weekends, it's like a horrible place to have a job. Luckily she doesn't, so good for her, yay! Alright, go on Zebra, you Francis Ha Virginia Wolf analogue, who is also Don Quixote. Uh, yeah, ignoring, fine, ignoring money and jobs and how people have the money that gets them into uh, beautiful apartments in Barcelona, that's a cardinal sin in my books. That's that's completely uh, ignoring this massive, massive part of life that needs to be talked about and needs books written about it because it's everywhere except in writers. Except because writers tend to be academics or somewhere in writing. Um, like uh, don't want to like call her out because she's a nice person and everything, but uh, Chandler Clangsmith, who I interviewed last se- um, episode, was a literary agent. And then it's a novelist. And literary agents, I know from experience, do not live normal lives. It's not a, a job job. That's not working on the oil rigs or something. That's not, not even working in most offices. It's a lovely job if you can get it. A lot of reading involved, but if you're into that, then that's good. But, yeah, I'm, like, 
want to put a call out, like call for submissions, write about work, please, someone. Like the last book I remember that was set in an office was, uh, and then we came to the end. Um, I must have read that in like 2003. Like is, is no one writing them? Because I don't see them. I really want to see them and if I saw a book set in a workplace, I would jump on that because I, I want to I wanna read about that. Uh, not because I love workplaces and want to hear more about them, but because I hate workplaces and work and doing work and having to work. And I would like someone at least to acknowledge that maybe that's okay, you know? Maybe there's other stuff we could be doing but that's not work, but that at the same time isn't uh, laying around apartments that someone else pays for and being weird. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's be, let's all be a little more like Pun Pun and a little less like Zebra. Mm-hmm. I know you probably hear that a lot, it's kind of a cliche, but, uh, yeah, there it is again. Uh, and let's also, uh, finish off the episode by listening to a band called Leech Feast. So these are a Slovenian uh, sludge doom quartet. Uh, they're on Drykov Records and Rope or Guillotine. That's another record label, I guess. And they're described in the press release I got here. Neon Crosses was born from the fertile soil of false salvation, wounds left by expectations and refusal to let things go, all illuminated by the flicker of the streetlight cancerous nature of deteriorating urban sprawl, endless possibilities of contradiction, and a slow, grandiose waltz encircling the drain. The stars are shining bright, the crosses and neon even brighter. So I guess Zebra did get a job, and it's writing a copy for records. So let's uh, listen to one of their songs here, which is going to be the shortest song on the album, uh, at a brisk 7 minutes, sorry, 8 minutes, 7 minutes 59 seconds. And it's called Halogen. It's on Neon Crosses by Leech Feast. Uh, if I look out my window, I actually see a neon cross. There's a church around here that has like this bright red, huge neon cross. It looks like it's about to play Personal Jesus if you look at it or something. It, and um, these guys, Leech Feast, uh, they've this is their second full length. Um, their first new material since 2015, where they that are split with Meth Drinker. There's lovely boys in Meth Drinker. And um, yeah, it's a nice little slice of hideous, terrifying sludge. And um, I don't know why it's, um, I'm playing this. It doesn't go with anything I've uh, said. It doesn't really have a thematic um, connection to anything I've been doing so far but it's just really horrible and um, terrifying and I really like it. So here's some uh, Leech Feast with Halogen. Oh, and because uh, I always forget that I'm, I, I'm gonna do another episode. Uh, I'm very fatalistic and um, pretty sure I'll get hit by a bus before next episode, but in case I don't, I'm reading a couple of books. Uh, they're both fairly short and fairly uh, easy to get through. So first is called uh, Dear Cyborgs by uh, Eugene Lim. Um, it's really brief, it's like 90 pages almost, but um, uh, there are yet to be any cyborgs, I'm not quite that far into it just yet, but I'm assured that cyborgs will show up, and when they do, I will be a lot happier than I was um, through the majority of Call Me Zebra. Which again is a shame because uh, Asmin van der Vliet Lumi is an um, amazing writer. I mean, it's just so good. And she just picked, you know, she picked the wrong horse here. She picked a character that was deeply unlikable. That's a damn shame. Um, well, everyone else seems to like it, so literally, who gives a fuck what I think, or say, or do, or am? even that I exist. God knows I don't. Um, the other book I'm going to read is uh, The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden. That looks like some, that's some sci-fi right there. It's got a robot right there on the front cover. 
it's yeah it's it's they have made no um pains to make this look like literary sci-fi it's straight up hard sci-fi but it's from uh, the press and people's reaction to it and uh even the back cover and just how happy nikki drayden looks in her offer picture uh, it sounds like a really good book. It's set in South Africa, and not a whole lot of uh, sci-fi is set in South Africa, especially with uh, um, a mostly black cast. Um, the Cyborgs is a pretty significant uh, Asian cast. So I'm going to be um, utterly out of my depth discussing uh, matters of race. Um, you notice I barely touched on anything racial this week, and I'm just going to it's just gonna be a mess uh, if you want to drag me then i highly recommend listening to next week's episode because i'm gonna have my foot right in my mouth it's gonna be it's just gonna be a car crash you're gonna love it uh so yeah that was call me zebra and goodnight pun pun um maybe give call me zebra a go maybe i i could be completely wrong about this and maybe you'll love it uh you will love goodnight pun pun even if you don't like manga and you'll you're gonna hate leech feast and that's good that's fine with me it's fine with them it's probably fine with their friends in meth drinker um so listen to them and come back next week follow me on twitter at at death sentence pc the pc stands for automatic rifle and um follow me on facebook i think it's also you know, just search for it um and uh Give me five star reviews and uh, be, just be be nice and you know, be a good be a good guy because we need likable people like you who give people five star reviews. Uh, yeah, let's listen to Leech Feast.